0: out in the open. A Good Omens Podfic, written by Entangled Now, read by Jupp. Summary, in which Crowley makes a decision, buys flowers, and then panics. Crowley has been parked outside the bookshop for exactly 4 minutes and 19 seconds. This is much harder than he'd expected it to be. It's one thing to make the decision, to prepare for it with determination and a sense of reckless abandon, but it's another thing entirely to actually get up and do it, to go through with it, to take a step that might change everything. Aziraphale has never liked change. Crowley turns his head to look down at the passenger seat. There's a large bunch of flowers there, wrapped carefully in lilac and mint paper, Decorated with curling golden wines. They are not congratulations on your bookshop flowers, or your new home is lovely flowers, or I'm sorry for your loss flowers, or congratulations for having a baby, or a birthday, or a wedding, or a bloody engagement flowers. No, they are the other sort of flowers. They are I'm always thinking about you, flowers. There, there's no one else in this whole universe that means more to me than you, flowers. There, I couldn't exist without you, flowers. There, at the very heart of it, I love you, you ridiculous angel, and I have to tell you, or I will actually go mad, flowers which is the reason he's currently hunched in a driver's seat, like some sort of demonic gargoyle, wondering what the fuck he thinks he's doing. He'd spend an hour picking exactly the right selection of blooms, buds, and greenery for color, scent, and meaning, and then an extra twenty minutes choosing the right paper to wrap them all in, discarding various gaudy bows and ribbons as too much and Crowley knows that it probably won't matter to a Aziraphale that the angel will more than likely just see a bunch of flowers, unless he cares to investigate further. The wasted time was mostly for Crowley, to punish himself, maybe, to force him to really think about the wisdom of all of this, to give him time to decide this is a terrible idea, and to drive himself home, throw that carefully chosen bouquet in a bin, or, more likely, angrily burn the evidence of his folly to nothing. Because there's a good chance that immediately after Crowley's declaration, Xerophil will awkwardly stutter his way through some sort of gentle apology and rejection, after which Crowley will physically turn to ash on the spot. But there's also a slim possibility, a more than 0% chance, that the angel might accept his bouquet of messy, messy feelings. And that slim possibility is absolutely worth the risk. That slim possibility is literally all he's functioning on right now. Get out of the car, he tells himself sharply, which does very little. Crowley has never much liked doing, as he's told. Stop dithering like a fucking coward and get out of the car. That's a bit better. That's appropriately scathing, that is. He finds himself jerkily clawing at the door handle and forcing himself out into the street. The flowers come with him, looking much bigger when they're actually in his hand, much more obvious. But that's kind of the point, isn't it? Because he's been subtle for more centuries than he can count, for so long that it's become a part of him just subtle enough to suggest, to be teasing, to be open or flirtatious, affectionate at a push, usually while drunk, or if feeling particularly self-destructive. But he's also been subtle enough that it could be ignored, or dismissed, that it could be explained away if necessary, nothing you wouldn't have expected from a natural tempter. But now, after everything, Subtle feels unbearable. Crowley makes himself climb the steps and knock on the door, because this seems like a knocking on the door sort of situation, not a strolling inside sort of situation. And he doesn't particularly want to have to leave the shop afterwards if this all goes terribly badly, when this invitably all goes terribly badly. He gives himself a sharp kick in several planes of existence that aren't this one, and forces himself to stand still and wait, when he desperately wants to miracle himself at least a hundred miles in any direction. A Aziraphale opens the door, looking flustered and curious. He frowns when he finds Crowley on the step. Crowley, what are you doing? Why didn't you come in? He would answer the question. But he's been thinking about what he wants to say for the last four hours, and if he doesn't get at least some of it out, then he'll just end up making throat noises, and that's the sort of incoherency he doesn't need right now. Here, these are for you, Crowley manages, through an astonishingly dry throat. It's probably unnecessary, really, because he's thrusting the flowers forward rather enthusiastically already. Oh! Azirafil's focus moves from him to the flowers, and he takes them, with a confused sort of delight and a slow stretching smile, fingers lifting to stroke the petals. Oh! Aren't they lovely! Did I forget something? He briefly lifts a worried expression back to Crowley. Tell me I didn't forget something! Are we dreadfully embarrassed? Crowley shakes his head. No, Angel. I'm here to invite you to dinner with me, he says, and apparently his voice has decided to be weirdly formal about it, as if he's lost a hundred and fifty years somewhere. To have dinner with me, tonight. Table for two, candles, wine, the whole deal. He takes the extra moment to let his glasses slide down, narrow pupils fully exposed. Because he wants to make it perfectly clear, that this is not a normal invitation. This is not the same as any of the many invitations he's extended before, over 6,000 years. This is dinner, and a misunderstanding at this point is infucking tolerable. Aziraphale blinks at him slowly, and then goes very, very still. And though he does have the occasional tendency To miss the obvious to a ridiculous degree, the angel is not stupid, not willfully stupid. Dinner, he says faintly, as if he's somehow forgotten the meaning of the word. Okay, so the angel gets it. Now Crowley needs to provide a safe way for Xerophil to refuse without changing anything, without, without ruining everything they've been for the last 6,000 years. Because he is stupidly, irrevocably in love with this angel, and that's not going to change. But he can be whatever Zerophil wants him to be, whatever he needs him to be. Crowley will do anything. He just needs to know before it kills him. And I would like to reassure you that I'm perfectly prepared for you to say no, if that's what you want if you're not interested in in this or me. I'll get back in the car and I'll drive home, and I won't mention this again. We can go back to exactly how it was before, go for the other sort of dinner, the companionable sort, very casual, anywhere you like, no pressure at all in any way. I just couldn't not ask, because you know how I, if there was even a chance, I couldn't not ask you, could I? The world almost ended, we nearly died. We should have died, and I couldn't... He stops, because Xerophil is moving, one of those impossibly strong hands catching Crowley's lapel and dragging him inside the shop, and the door nearly dislocates his shoulder when it shuts right beside him with a snap. I... I can't have this conversation in the doorway. Aziraphale says weakly, flattening the hand that isn't holding a bunch of flowers on Crowley's chest, and he feels the press of every finger down to the bone. You feel a little overwhelming right now. Crowley knows what he means immediately, how obvious he must be, feelings leaking all over the place. Though they can't be that unfamiliar to the angel, not after all this time. It's just Well, this time, he hasn't made the usual effort to pack it away, crush it down, carefully refuse to acknowledge it when it's written all the way through his bones. That's the thing about honesty. It shows so many of the messy, naked parts underneath, rarely touched and oversensitive. Right, I can, uh, try and make that stop, Crowley offers, wondering if he actually can or if they've all now escaped for good. He can feel his insides filling with something cold and vaguely numb. Don't you dare, Aziraphale says sharply, which throws him for a moment, the vehemence behind it. Crowley feels it all the way down his spine. The bunch of flowers is unceremoniously flung on the nearest table growing pollen and tiny leaves all over a stack of what looks like French poetry. Crowley still making confused noises in his throat, meaningless nonsense, really, when a xerophil catches his jacket and pushes him into the back of the door, then steps in close and kisses him. And that's definitely what it is, because Crowley's mouth is crushed under the angels, glasses knocked crooked. And it's a whole world of warmth and pressure and a fear, Oh. Oh, fuck. Crowley moves, belatedly, to kiss him back. He pushes narrow fingers through a soft, impossible hair and eases them into a more comfortable position until they can shift and open against each other. So Crowley can kiss him the way he's always always wanted to, since the first moment he saw him. And his whole body is suddenly dizzy with relief and pleasure. Aziraphil makes a deep noise of satisfaction, hence tightening in Crowley's jacket. There's a great rushing snap of air that pushes the angel harder into him, crushing all the air out of Crowley's chest. Books clatter and thud loudly off the shelves behind and above them, in a great pulling track. Crowley can feel the shadow of Aziraphale's wings through his closed eyes, that echo of thunderstorms and empty space. The way they stretch and then curve in towards him. Crowley tries, completely ineffectively, to stop himself from smiling. It breaks them apart naturally, and Aziraphale very slowly leans back and opens his eyes. He looks a little drunk, eyes bright, mouth just a touch red, bow-tie ever so slightly askew, smiling at Crowley like he's a Aziraphale's favorite thing in the world. And Crowley's not sure he knows how to cope with that expression. A Aziraphale gives the now quite considerable wingspan behind him a sheepish look and folds them in again, clears his throat. I wasn't sure if you'd wait, or if you still felt the same. Aziraphale's voice is quiet, almost apologetic and so very soft. I was afraid, after everything I said to you. Crowley shushes him, hand-dropping to find Aziraphale's, so he can tangle their fingers together, like he's wanted to so many times. And it's more than a relief when the angel squeezes gently. Of course I did. That was never a question. That's never going to change, angel, Crowley tells him, and he means every word of it. Raphael frowns and carefully lifts a hand towards Crowley's glasses, asks permission with his eyes. Crowley bows his head forward, so the angel can slip them free. You've always been too good to me. Aziraphale says quietly, while he folds them carefully and settles them on the table by the door with the abandoned flowers. It's a lie. Crowley has been a disaster of epic proportions for six thousand years, for their entire friendship, unable to resist the urge to seek the angel out for company, for dinner, for drinks. Where they've debated constantly, drank excessively, challenged each other aggressively, and argued frequently, and occasionally spitefully. He's just been in love with Aziraphale the whole time, and he's cherished every single bloody minute of it. "'I would be delighted to accept your invitation,' Aziraphale tells him with a smile, thumb sliding over the curve of Crowley's orbital bone. Like he can't stop touching now they've stumbled their way together.' and any further invitations you see fit to extend. Which is so impossibly perfect that Crowley doesn't know what to say to it. What are you supposed to say when someone gives you everything you've ever wanted? He settles for carefully drawing Aziraphale back in, because this is too new to let go of yet. Aziraphale comes easily, willingly humming a note of satisfaction and folding himself into Crowley's body, one arm sliding around his waist. Until it can't be classified as anything other than an embrace, and Crowley's left breathing him in, feeling the softness of his hair against his face. And it's too easy to tip his head to the side, to feel the warmth of a Aziraphale's skin against his cheek. This time, Crowley kisses him first. The End